I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there, and welcome to Lead with Impact. This is Brian, and I am excited that you are with me today. We have a really interesting conversation and discussion coming up. But before we get there, I wanted to just take a moment to thank you for making the time to spend some time with me and the Lead with Impact podcast. It is always appreciated, and I am happy that you're here. If you have a chance to go out and subscribe to this podcast via your favorite carrier, that would be great and would ensure that you never miss an episode of Lead with Impact. And we have some really good ones coming up. But we're going to start with a great one today, talking to Amber Hurdle. Amber is the CEO of Amber Hurdle Consulting, a multi-award winning talent optimization firm that pioneers using both science and marketing principles to strengthen brands from the inside out. She's worked with international celebrities, executives, and Fortune 100 companies alike, connecting people strategies to business strategies. As a professional speaker, author, and podcast host of her own, Amber the Velvet Machete Hurdle creates content-rich experiences that energize leaders. I'm intrigued. I can't wait to talk to Amber and hear all about what she does. So let's get to it. Let's meet Amber Hurdle. Amber Hurdle, welcome to Lead with Impact. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Well, thank you, Brian, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while because I know you have something unique to offer and something that can help me and can help the Lead with Impact listeners. So I'm really excited to get into that and hear a little bit about your story as well because I think it will have impact on people. To kick that off, maybe, can you tell me what you do to help people? Yeah, I mean, if we boil it down to individuals um, and not really look at it holistically from a from a whole organizational perspective, I think what I bring to the table most is I help professionals um, clearly define and leverage, um, articulate their distinct value. And so um, that just comes with heaps of self-awareness and um, some deep study of what makes you special and unique and what what you bring to the table that's different than anyone else. Um, And then once you're able to do that and you're very self-aware, that then affords you the opportunity to be able to see and harvest the greatness in others. And so it's a a win-win all the way around. I have seen the need for that so many times. Why do you think so many people need that kind of help from someone like you? I think there's a great lack of genuine confidence um, just across the board um, in most humans. Uh, I think that we are conditioned as uh, young as children 
for um, what we think we have to do in order to fit the framework of our lives. Um, it might be that you were told as a kid, you know, stop being so rowdy or um, I mean, there's a, a myriad of things that could could condition you to think that you have to fit a mold or be a certain way or not authentically show up as who you are. Um, and that's repeated in, you know, systematized um, education structures that are, you know, not a fit for everyone. We all learn differently. We all express ourselves differently. And so we just go through these layers upon layers upon layers. You're trying to fit in at school. You're trying to be the cool kid. Um, you know, what's everybody else doing? That's what I'm going to do. And then we get into our work environments and we've completely lost ourselves or at least partially have lost ourselves. And we don't know how to show up at our best. Um, and so I come in and I just chisel away at all the junk that has attached to my clients over the years. And I help them see themselves as the awesome human beings that they are. And that is the most rewarding thing I could possibly think about doing and waking up every single day and getting the chance to um, participate in. That's amazing. So you're sort of giving them permission to release their untapped potential or sort of dive into that untapped potential and use that to push themselves forward. Is that sort of a good interpretation? Yeah, absolutely. And also just embrace what they suck at, to be quite honest. Um, that's, that is a big thing that I find myself in the early, um, in the early stages of like coaching and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I point out everything that I stink at. And I'm like, and I really don't care about these things because here's my laundry list of things that I can do right. And so I'm going to focus on these things and I'm going to show up with these gifts and I'm going to focus on serving other human beings in the context of a professional world. What you bring to the table is moving the mission and the vision of your organization forward. You are part of the collective and all of those unique and distinct gifts all come together to make the business strategy actually work. And so if I'm going to want to be part of something bigger than myself, then I need to direct all of those gifts. I need to direct my personality, my experiences, my just special things about me that I'm good at that I don't know why I'm good at. I just am because that's what I was gifted with when I was born. If I can direct all of those things and not worry about the fact that I'm not great at math or I'm not great at um, public speaking, don't worry about those things. If it matters a ton and you need to kind of, you know, get some learned behaviors or massage those things because every once in a while you have to use it, fantastic. But what if instead you focused on all the amazing things you have to contribute and then that was just unleashed and you can do so much more with that without the baggage attached to demeaning yourself? It's amazing. I have a two-part follow-up question. Sure. And... Part two will be dependent on your answer to part one. <laughs> so does the word authenticity come into play with what you do? Because it sort of sounds like that I'm hearing that word, but maybe you can tell me if that's something you talk to people a lot about. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays that word is so, uh, it just feels like such a buzzword, um, but it is, it is a true 
reality. And I always invite people to go to U University. And so I use psychoanalytic tools. I use my own extreme intuition. Um, I observe body language. Sometimes I shadow my clients um, in their work environment. Sometimes I role play with them because I want to understand who they really are and how they best show up. Um, and so that's the, the, what I do is I bring my branding and my PR and my marketing principles to, um, to an individual and I help them understand that just like a product or a service, you have things that you need to really pull to the front. You need to understand who is it that you are serving. And that could be, um, you know, key stakeholders in the business that you interact with on a regular basis. It could be your customers, maybe you're a sales professional, and that's, you know, people you're trying to persuade to do business with you. But you have to understand that just like marketers have to understand who they're trying to sell to. And once you understand that, then you go back and you say, okay, who am I really? What is it that I can do? How do I best show up in order to influence in these areas? Just like a product or service has to understand, you know, what are your key differentiators? How are you going to sell this? How are you going to sell Nikes over Adidas or Adidas over Nikes? Um, you know, you have to identify those key characteristics. So now we know who our ideal targets are. Now we know what we bring to the table. And then you start positioning yourself um, in order to make those two things play together and create some serious magic. So if we want to call that authenticity, fantastic. I just want you to show up as you and um, with consideration of who you are interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis. That's perfectly stated. And I'll tell you why I asked that question, and then maybe you can enlighten me. So yeah. part of what I do is leadership training. I like to speak on stage and I try to make it collaborative. And there's a section where I talk about authenticity and the fact that leaders have to basically be themselves and that they don't need to fake it. But, right. and I'm pretty much 100% success slash failure rate on this part. So uh, <laughs> almost every time I do this, somebody raises their hand and a lot of times it's like an aggressive type person and they say to me, Brian, you don't understand. I'm authentic and I talk to people and, but they don't respond well to it. And what, uh -huh. can I do, what can I do to make them change? And I say, well, you might have to adjust. And they say, but you just said I could be authentic. This is me. So if you had a client like that, how would you coach them through that? I would teach them how to use their velvet machete. So the machete cuts to the chase, is very direct. It gets people's very limited attention span. But the velvet wraps the message in a way that makes your message appealing to your attended audience. So the way that I talk, let's just, you know, take it very personal. The way that I talk to my daughter is going to be different than how I talk to my son because they're two different people and they're very different in, in their communication styles. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm showing up any less Amber either way. It's just that I modify it just slightly enough to make it comfortable and to ultimately get what I want. So when people start get when they get sassy or they're using a little too much machete and they're like, well, I told that person and I'm like, okay, well, what did you want in the end? What were you trying to influence in the end? Well, I wanted them to do this. Well, did being a jerk get you there? No. Okay. Well, then maybe we need to take a step back and come up with a better strategy to be authentically you and also not dress that by being a jerk. Like that's, you're not born a jerk. You're not born a pushover. You're not born overly velvet. You're not born overly machete. You just have to understand how your unique personality and communication style is received by other people. 
And some people are just going to be turned off by you in general, and that's fine. But don't make a point of it because now you're not leading or influencing. You're just being a jerk or a doormat. <laughs> right. Maybe too much velvet. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe too much machete. Mm-hmm. That is a brilliant name, by the way. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love it because it just it just paints this picture in your head and it's really easy to see that dichotomy. That I is... was dubbed that in my early twenties by a personal training client. And he just said, um, you know, you're, you're my velvet machete. You, you say things that are hard to hear, but for some reason I like it. And I was like, well, here's the deal. You're not going to be able to come off your blood pressure medicine. And you're also not going to be able to lose the weight that you want to lose by eating a ribeye every night and washing it down with bourbon. That's just not the truth. And so I love you enough to tell you that. That's that's what Velvet Machete is about for me. And I, and, you know, it was a client who named me that. So I want to back up. Okay. So we've just spent a few minutes learning about all the uh, really incredible things that you do. But how did Amber Hurdle get to become this Amber Hurdle? What was the journey? Why did you start doing this? <laughs> Were there any struggles? What was the road to Amber 2.0? <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I've got to back up to high school because um, I was a very, uh, I was a quote, good girl. I'd just been on um, the, the local news at 6 and 10, Monday through Friday, um, being featured with about a dozen other students. Uh, because we were such good kids, they came to us to talk to us about conversations that um, were difficult to have with parents, that parents didn't choose to explore. So, um, so here I was just super famous for a week, you know, for a teenager. And then a couple weeks later, I found out that I was pregnant. Um, so there was a major fall from grace there. So not only did I deal with the shame of, of that, um, the, the, uh, choice to say, am I a teen mom or am I Amber? Um, and I chose Amber. And that was hard to hold my head high, but to continuously claim that. Um, and then as I was struggling as a single mom and, you know, broke and, <laughs> and real, when I say struggle, that's such an understatement. Um, I did realize that of all the different jobs that I worked, and at one point I worked four jobs, there's two nights ever, out of every week that I did not sleep for several months. I just went job to job to job to job, took a shower, went to another job, and, um, and I realized that there were certain things about me that got me more shifts or better shifts or more flexibility, like at the restaurant that I worked at. There was something about me that my, um, my on-call job that I had, that the owner of that company gave me opportunities to like wash his camper and pay me on the weekend, but he didn't offer that to anybody else. There was something about me that got me a job that I probably needed a college education for, but I dropped out of college because I just couldn't handle that and trying to provide for my daughter. So there was something. So I'm like, why do I get this favor? Why is it that I'm positioned differently than everyone else that I work with? And, and so I didn't know what personal branding was. And quite frankly, that was not even a term back then. But I did know that I had certain things about me that created opportunity and attract the right people who helped me get out of my hole that I dug for myself. And so I started really focusing on that. 
And then I started seeing it in other people. And I just became such an observer of human behavior. And I stayed in that marketing PR world when went back to college, got my PR degree. And um, that's all I've ever done. And so once I left corporate, and this has been such a big part of my story, I realized that because I was forced to find my greatness under real duress, <laughs> I was really powerful in being able to do that for, for organizations, um, for their various publics, and then in, and for individuals as well. And so I live, eat, and breathe branding because it is just so much part of my story. Now, what was it? You have to share. What was that quality that was getting you those extra shifts and those better jobs? Um, I have a work ethic that doesn't stop, and I got that from both of my parents. Um, I do what I say I'm going to do. I always showed up on time. I worked harder than everybody else. And I think um, I think there's a, a piece of me that I'm, I'm extremely empathetic, and so I can... I can relate to lots of different people. And so I can manage up, I can manage laterally, I can manage customers, I'm great at customer service, and I'm not patting myself on the back, it's just that when you inherently can feel the energy of another person and you know where they are and where they're coming from, it's easier to communicate in a way that um, that they need. And so I think people saw that in me and they knew that they could put me in any situation. And not only would I do the job with excellence, but I would do it in consideration of the humans I was interacting with as well. That's remarkable. And I agree with you about the empathy and the intuition as a leadership coach. That is a hard thing sometimes to coach into people. It's possible. Yeah, but, it is. But some people just have it without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I don't know how much of a you're into the personality types and assessments and all those, but there definitely is some truth to that, to that, I believe, and the natural skills that some people just bring or work to develop. Yeah. And sometimes you have to, and I've had clients that are not the most empathetic people and you can, it's, it's, you can, you can strengthen it like a muscle, but that requires practice. And again, it requires a lot of self-awareness and it requires running through scenarios and talking through actual instances that people experience throughout the week and then talk about how they missed the opportunity to be uh, to show some empathy or maybe uh, reward and celebrate the fact that they practiced it so well. So, yeah, was I born an empath? Absolutely. One thousand percent. Um, but if you weren't or even weren't born with some empathy, you know, natural empathy, that's that's something like anything else that we can practice. Now, you said you worked with individuals and also employers. So how mm -hmm. can employer brands use marketing and science when building their brand? Oh, uh, this is just I can geek out on this. So set the timer. Don't, don't let me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's don't go. Let me I, I want to hear it. Okay, so let's just, again, let's go back to that external marketing strategy. So if I'm an organization, I'm Apple Computers, I'm Coca-Cola, whatever, um, you know, in North America, we spend billions with a B of dollars every single year, year on market research. And I'm doing that because I want to understand my ideal customer. I want to know how to emotionally evoke them to give me their money so I can solve their problem, right? That is what business is. And so I'm going to study them. And all of my marketing is going to be based on the data that I collect. 
when you swipe your card at the grocery store to get your little discount three cents off of something, they are collecting data on you so they know how to target you to buy more stuff in the future. It's just how it works. So if we take that same strategy and we look at our business strategy and then we map our people strategy by using data, we're doing the same thing internally. So what I want to do is I want to collect data on all employees. And I have a, a psychoanalytic tool that I use to get those metrics. It can be homegrown. It can be, um, you know, it could be exit surveys. It could be a survey that you create on your own. But I like, you know, something that has 70 years of science <laughs> backing it personally. And so we use that data um, to understand who is currently doing the work. Okay. And then every single time I hire, I want to be sure that that position has an ideal employee profile. I want to know what's going to drive the behavior for the perfect person for this job. And so I want to understand if they're going to be more independent or more collaborative. What does this job need? I want to understand if this job is going to have a lot of repetitive tasks or is it going to look very different every single day? I want to understand if this job is going to be more isolated and behind a computer or is this person going to need to really be able to flex and, and deal with a lot of different people and be able to collaborate and spitball ideas and that sort of thing. And I also want to understand, is this person going to have their finger on the nuke button or do I need for them to be innovative and maybe sometimes bend the rules a little bit? If I don't have those things in line and I put somebody like me in a job that, well, I'll just give you an example. I just told you how desperate I was as a young single mom. I got a dream job for most people, especially somebody in my position, and I could leave all the collective jobs that I had and go to this one job. But the job <laughs> was literally unscrewing a screw from a TV every single day. And following a bunch of rules and not getting off the line and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I'm a rule-breaking, independent-thinking, social person who wants something to be different every day. So it didn't matter that I was qualified to do that job. And it didn't matter that I had a resume saying I could do that job or that my values matched the values of that company. It didn't matter that I got along great with everybody or that um, I was a team fit because I was not wired to do that. I could do the job but I chose not to do the job and I lasted two weeks. And so we see this turnover because we don't identify the behavioral characteristics that each job needs. So once we have collected this data, now we can determine the right fit, not only just for culture, not just for experience, we're also making sure that they're a behavioral fit for that job. Now they're happy, hunky-dory in this position. And then and only then, is everybody happy and working and swimming in the right direction using their gifts in an environment that they're happy to be in because it's, it's a perfect fit for them. And when that employer brand led by PS, a bunch of strong personal brands, when that employer brand is hitting on all eight cylinders, they're giving discretionary effort. You're not seeing any turnover. So your customers are experiencing continuity and excellence. And now you have a strong business brand because your people drive the business results. And so that's my Velvet Machete brand strategy. We start with strong personal brands. We create self-awareness. We make sure our leaders understand how to see the greatness in other people. Those leaders then lead a company that is full of strong 
that is a strong employer brand where people want to come work for you, where they want to stay there, where they want to thrive and share their gifts. And then those, that collective group of that employer brand that is amazing then produces an amazing business brand of rabid fans who can't get enough of the company. And those, and it just keeps the, the, the continued cycle there keeps going because when you have happy, happy customers, you can hire or you can um, give raises or you can give more benefits or perks to your employees. And it just goes in that circle. I told you I can go for days. We could do the whole <laughs> podcast just on that. <laughs> Good, because I want to go a little further. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's phenomenal, though, but you're also talking to someone who's spent quite a bit of time as a recruiter. Yes. <laughs> so the recruiter part of me is still saying, all right, I get it. I get that we want these qualities for this job. Right. I can almost draw a picture of the perfect person. I can maybe, you know, create a psychological profile of the perfect person. But that doesn't necessarily help me decide between the three people that I'm considering for this. So how does an employer actually put that into practice in the hiring process? So I'm I'm so glad um, you can relate to this uh, as a person with recruiting experience. Um, part of that part of the marketing principle and the branding principle is yes, you identify who that ideal person is, but when you're marketing the job and you're not just putting something up on indeed, and it's just like this laundry list of responsibilities, there's nothing sexy about that. That does not evoke any type of emotional connection to me. I know there's some boilerplate things you have to put in for legal reasons or whatever to meet indeed's expectations. But when you lead with like, are you a dynamic personality? Do you want to um, have fun when you come to work, but uh, drive results in an intense way? If you can deal with competing priorities, if you put all of that in and somebody's looking at that going, oh my gosh, it's like they wrote this just for me. Now you're narrowing that down because you want people just like marketers of products and services do. You want that person to say, yes, this is for me or no, this is not for me. You don't want that wishy-washiness. So you're already, you're putting into the funnel the some self-selection, if you will. But if you use the tools that I use, like for example, I'm a predictive in, index um, uh, certified consultant, you create a job profile. So you have about three to five people in the organization help create this. So based on those key metrics that I spoke of earlier, you start saying, okay, well, this person, you know, really needs to uh, be very independent and like their ideas best. They need to be a bit of a risk taker. And so we know that, you know, this is, it's more science than I'm going to get into here, but it's actually really easy peasy. Once you have an applicant, all you do is you overlay their behavioral assessment and their, their profile report over that job description, which happens automatically in the software. And then you immediately know if they're a fit or they're not. And then we also use um, a cognitive assessment. So what that does is it helps you not identify how intelligent they are because it's not an IQ test. It helps you understand how quickly they can ramp up. So if you have, let's just say a startup and um, you're moving quickly and you don't have 18 months for this person to, to get acclimated, you're going to need somebody who can juggle competing priorities because most start- startups are not quite um, where they are in a stabilizing environment where they need to put in a lot of long-term processes and procedures. So that's a key thing that I would look for. And then I would also want somebody with a, a moderately high cognitive score so that I know that they're a quick learner and they can just hit the ground running. 
So that's how we use science, just like um, a marketer would use science to make decisions about how they're going to uh, market and uh, attract market share. So we are running our applicants through a behavioral assessment as part of the onboard, as part of the hiring experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and, my, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, and where in your mind does that, and I know I'm probably I'm going way down the rabbit hole on this, but I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> so where does that stay in the priority, rank in the priority level? So I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm trying to hire somebody, and or maybe I'm a manager for a larger company. Where do I rank the behavioral assessment against skills, against job experience, all those sorts of things? So personally, again, going back to my example of myself, um, I would I would put that pretty high. Um, but we do like to measure the head, heart, and the briefcase. So the heart is your values, um, you know, just how you show up, your personality, that sort of thing. Your briefcase, of course, is your pedigree, your your resume. Do you have the experience to do this job? Um, and then the the head is, are you a behavioral match for this? But it doesn't matter how happy you are and how much kumbaya you can do with all of your team members if you are not wired to behave in the way that that job requires you to behave, you are going to be exhausted. You're going to be operating your quicksand and you're going to leave, or you're going to be an underperformer because it's just not how you're wired. Um, and so that, that really is a big, big deal to me. And it also helps me self-identify or helps me help my clients, um, self-identify people that would thrive somewhere else. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had to let go of people who were not a behavioral match. I love them. I wish I could keep them, but it just wasn't working. And so I gently and lovingly released them to go find other opportunities that were more suited for them. And they stayed in touch with me saying like, oh my gosh, that was the best thing you could have ever done to tell me what my true gifts are and what type of environment I should be looking for because I went and found it and now I'm thriving. Thank you. When you can fire somebody and get thank yous continuously over the years, <laughs> there's right. something to it. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, it sounds like a lot of this is culture and not just culture is, you know, in the, in an ambiguous way, but really understanding who you are as an employer. I could go back to brand really knowing who you are and knowing who's going to succeed there and who won't. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because um, when I'm on stage, I kind of poke fun at people. Um, I ask the audience, you know, who who in here has, um, you know, their, their AirPods in or their earbuds in and they're listening to their playlist on their device and maybe your spouse or your friend or your kid or whoever is watching Netflix on their iPad and everybody puts their hands up and we all have all of these curated experiences that we deal with all the time, right? I have my Netflix um, ID and my daughter has hers, my husband and my son and um, my pretend son that is here all the time is on our account. But we can't comprehend that we are also in an environment, in a world environment where everything is personalized to exactly what it is that we want. We cannot get it in our head that that has to be the employee experience too, that we have to manage people, we have to lead people, we have to influence people according to how they are wired. It has to be a personalized experience. You cannot lead, blanket lead everybody on your team 
that way. It is not how we're wired anymore. It is not how we live our everyday lives. And it's not going to work for eight hours a day in the workplace. Now, that, that is music to my ears because I, I will share with you something that I say a lot that routinely gets people upset at me. And <laughs> especially people who do what I do. Uh, when I work with leaders or when I speak on stage, I share some, a really unpopular opinion with a lot of people. And that is I tell leaders to basically forget the whole concept of leadership style. Because you don't get to define who you are anymore and expect people to come to you. Your I love you, Brian. <laughs> your leadership <laughs> style should be the style that's needed for each of the people that you report to, and they all need different yes. things from you. Uh, yes. You can't you can't just plant your flag and expect everyone to come to you and say, "I buy in." It doesn't work right. that way anymore. Preach, yes. So my rant, little rant is over, but it sounds like we share some of the same philosophies there. Absolutely, I I fully support that rant. <laughs> So I'm going to see if I can get you in trouble now. What, tra okay. what traditionally accepted advice in your field, whether it be branding or coaching, would you say that you disagree with? Um, I think the, the thing that I butt up against the most that I have to undo is that, um, you know, senior leadership knows everything and they're to set the tone and just like, the whole branding experience, um, you have to understand what the audience wants. That's why we do surveys. That's why we collect data. And, and then you, while not, um, while not undoing the core of the brand, as you're marketing, you're constantly adapting. You're constantly shifting and changing and, and touching base. And so my expectations of the senior leaders that I work with, the C-suite or you know the VP level or, or whoever it is, depending on the size of the company, um, my expectation is that they're constantly checking in and that it's a two-way communication. It's not, here's what we're doing, everybody buy in. It's, here's what we're thinking. What do you all think? Okay, great. Now we're going to make our final decision. Now we're rolling it out with the buy-in of of the team. Um, and when you have somebody bought into the process, then you have loyalty for life. Yeah, couldn't say it better. How can people find you online, Amber, if they want to learn more? Well, um, you can go to amberhurdle.com. And if you want to take the behavioral assessment and find out how your needs drive your behavior, then you can go to amberhurdle.com forward slash predictive dash index. amberhurdle.com forward slash predictive dash index. You'll get a report. It'll help you um, see how you show up best at work and what type of environments you need in order to truly thrive. Okay. I'm going to take that. Yes, I hope I hope you will. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to take that. I urge our listeners to as well. I think it'd be really useful for anybody. If there was an Amber Hurdle bumper sticker or billboard that had a few words to say, tell the world Amber's message, what would it be? Just do you. Just do you. Show up every day as, as exactly how you were designed. Um, you know, sometimes you need to polish that here and there, but a, a polished version of you that can adapt enough based on the culture, the situation, the people, while not changing the essence of who you are is going to make you the most powerful person you would ever know. That's amazing. What does the future hold for you, Amber? <laughs> 
in light of COVID-19, I'm trying not to think too much about the future, but um, I am I am about to launch um, a leadership membership program um, that takes people through just kind of the whole Velvet Machete uh process and and that's you know the pillars are building your personal brand building supportive environments based on how you're naturally wired mastering your communication mastering your engagement and then ultimately when you get all those things done you can truly build your influence so i'm getting excited about it and i i hope to really um, be able to connect with people virtually since that is our option right now and you and i can't get on stages anymore or at least for a long while that sounds like a uh that sounds like a marvelous offering that you're going to be putting out there. If people want to learn about that, will they find that on your website as well? Yeah. Um, so that is, let's see here, um, amberhurdle.com forward slash Velvet Machete Leadership Academy. Um, and we are going to have a one-day launch where everybody can join um, as a founding member and they get a lifetime price. And then once we kind of work through all of the the first round of people, then we'll open it up and it'll be a monthly fee. So, um, we're, we're getting excited to, um, really kind of go in. I don't even want to call it beta because this is tried and true and tested over the past eight years, but, um, I guess it would be beta in the form of a, of a membership program. Well, that sounds like a wonderful program. I'm sure it will help a lot of people. And I want to take a moment just to thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. I hope I didn't take everybody too far down the recruiting and HR rabbit <laughs> hole, but I love talking about that. And I want to thank you for taking the time. Oh, I'm just so appreciative that you are allowing me on your show and sharing your audience with me and we can collaborate on hopefully helping a few people here and there. 